0: Hey, it's Bob Garfield. Jumping in with a quick word about what's coming up on this week's Bully Pulpit. It's actually the second installment of a two-parter, this one exploring whether the First Amendment, the very foundation of our democracy, is maybe not quite up to the challenges of social media and political propaganda in the 21st century. Episode 14 of Bully Pulpit, coming Friday from BooksmartStudios.org. From Booksmart Studios, this is Lexicon Valley. I'm John McWhorter, and where I want to start is, of all places, of all people, Lorraine Hansberry. I happened to read a biography of her recently. This is the black female playwright and author. Something about Lorraine Hansberry's life got me thinking about how English marks gender. Beyond the current they issue that so many of us are moved by, and I know that most people would not readily associate Lorraine Hansberry with gender marking, but bear with me. This is how all of this happened. So it's the early 50s. Lorraine Hansberry is a very young woman. She is a dedicated leftist, and she spends the summer at a kind of leftist summer camp for grown-ups. And it's out in the woods, and there are white people and black people, and they're having discussions, and she had reason to be disgusted with a great many people in the crowd, of both colors for the record, and she decided that she didn't want to stay. The way that she announced that she wasn't staying was that after one particularly unpleasant group meeting, she stood up and she said, you are all assholes, and she left. Okay. There are all sorts of angles to that story, but I found myself thinking, okay, it's about 1953 or 4, and she's saying you're all assholes. And what she means is she doesn't like them. She is lowering them. She's calling them lesser. But if you think about it, her usage of that word asshole is not the one that we are most used to now. And that's because... Asshole has a very specific definition. I learned this from the late great linguist Jeff Nunberg, who was not only a colleague, but a friend of mine. And that is that asshole is certainly not just about the anatomy. And today, it's not just calling somebody deficient in some way. Asshole is specific. If you think about it, an asshole is somebody who cuts you off in traffic. An asshole is somebody who transgresses, who does bad things or uncivil things, knowing that that's what they're doing, but assuming that they can get away with it and not caring. That's what an asshole is. But this is the thing. That definition of asshole didn't emerge, didn't really set in until the 1970s and especially the late 1970s. The usage first pops up officially in the 40s, but it's only in, say, the Carter administration and beyond that it has that cutting someone off in traffic meaning. And that means that you hear the word used before, you can see the word used before, but it's not the meaning that we intend. And so... Hansberry is upset that the people she was dealing with were assholes, but she didn't mean that there were people acting high and mightily and knowing how offensive it was, but doing it anyway out of a sense of entitlement. That wasn't the issue. She was worried about all sorts of other ways that people can be annoying. And she used the word asshole in a way that her equivalent would not today about those issues that were not about transgression per se. So, for example, The Deer Hunter, the film. 1978, but it's depicting events of much earlier in the decade, and it's written by people who were minted much earlier than that. There's a famous scene where two men are using the word asshole. This is Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken. Listen to them using the word. Sound like some asshole. Huh? I tell you, Nick, you're the only guy I go hunting with, you know? I like a guy with quick moves of speed. I ain't gonna hunt with no assholes. Oh, well, who's an asshole? Who's an asshole? Who do you think's an asshole? They're all assholes. <laughs> I mean, I love them. They're great guys, but, you know, without you, i hung alone. Seriously, that's what I do. As you see, they don't mean transgressors. They mean jerks. That's different. And you can understand it. So if you're going to call somebody an anus, the most ready association will probably be that the person is unworthy. And that's the way the word asshole is used in mid-20th century Sources And so, for example, there's a book. It's actually it's a collection of short stories in the 1950s, and it's called, if I may, Pissing in Snow. And no, that title doesn't make me want to read it either. But I do know that there is a sentence in it which goes like this. There's a big pile of assholes left over. Looks to me like the almighty just throwed them assholes together and made the Easton family. So a big pile of assholes. Throw them assholes together. But the context, and you can even see from the sentence alone, is not that it's naughty transgressors. It's just jerks. It's just doo-doo heads. And it's not as if everything changed magically somewhere during the, the Iran hostage crisis. Because for a long time, when language changes, you have both A and then B coexisting together instead of only B. Existing, And I remember this because I'm 1965. I remember somebody in 1985 when I was in college, I overheard a guy saying, well, we're not just going to sit here all day like assholes. We have to go do something. What he meant was just sitting around would make them uninteresting people, not taking opportunities, boring, idle, that kind of asshole. He didn't mean, I could tell, that if we just sit around, we're being assholes because we know that we could go somewhere and save the day or something like that. He just meant jerks. We're not going to sit around here like assholes. That was the old asshole. Now, Whether or not you find that interesting, you may be wondering what any of this has to do with gender marking. And here is what it has to do with gender marking. It's a subtle thing that I don't imagine most describers of English would actually write down. But, asshole is gendered. Assholes, for the most part, are men. You might call a woman an asshole, but you know that you're kind of stretching it. That's a creative usage. Assholes are men. However, there is a female version of that word. If you think about it, it is, if I may, bitch. The way that we use that word is when we want to say that a woman is transgressing, at least according to what the person making this judgment thinks of as transgression, and that she's transgressing and knows it, that she's doing it in a kind of entitled fashion, self-conscious, heedless transgression where you don't care how other people feel. You are actively being a quote-unquote bitch, asshole, male, bitch, female, the transgressor. And so it's a gendered term in our language. You know, in the same way as you can call a female person an asshole, but you're stretching it. You can call a man a bitch, but notice that that usage is not about the male being a transgressor. There are other meanings that you intend when you use the word bitch with men. So it's one of these things, but different. So you can go through the language and find various ringingly unfair, supposedly equivalent but different words used according to whether somebody is a woman or a man. And so the classic example is bachelor versus spinster. The unmarried man is a bachelor. He has a swanky apartment and good taste in liquor, and he gets around and we're supposed to admire him for that. And he doesn't want to be tied down. The spinster, of course, we think of differently. That word is pretty archaic now, but when it was used, it was, negative, and the spinster is somebody who wishes that she had gotten married and is desperate, but it never happened, and oh, poor her. So, Bachelor, glamorous. There are sitcoms about bachelors in the 1950s. My Little Margie, Bachelor Father, Love That Bob, those were bachelors. Spinsters were comedy figures who were flailing around, always trying to get a man. That was the idea. Well, with Asshole and, and Bitch, if I may, it's kind of different because they're equivalent. I don't think that anybody thinks of the asshole as kind of a hero. Or if they do, let's face it, there is some of that resonance these days in that usage of the B word. But it's just interesting that transgressor, annoying transgressor, we have a different word for it if it's a man than if it's a woman. That means all sorts of things about the American social psychology. And it's interesting that that distinction is something that gets preserved even if the words are changed. And so, go back in time when asshole still just means doo-doo head. Well, was there a word for somebody who transgresses and knows it, and they're a man? Yes, there was. That's what son of a bitch meant. And so, for example, there was a movie that John Ford directed, back in the 30s, and he was giving one of the stuntmen a hard time. John Ford was, frankly, a pig in many ways, and he liked to give especially men a hard time just because he knew he could. Well, one of the stuntmen got tired of that and called Ford, today would be asshole, but he called him, well, you son of a bitch. And that's a little archaic to us now, but he meant exactly what, for example, Brad Pitt, if he were in the same situation, would have meant by saying, yeah, you're, you're an asshole, dude. I don't know if that's how Brad Pitt sounds, but he looks like it. I think that's his voice. And so that is what would be today. So it used to be not asshole and bitch, but son of a bitch and bitch. And you're almost tempted to think that, The resemblance where you've got you know bitch and then son of a bitch was on purpose. But actually, son of a bitch goes back before the B word had that transgressive meaning. And it originally just meant son of a female dog. So the resemblance is accidental, but it looks kind of paradigmatic as linguists say it. So there used to be that same gender differentiation, but with different words. Bitch was already in place, but it used to be son of a bitch and bitch. If you doubt me on that, I can actually illustrate it with you guessed it, a song. It's Cole Porter, who as often teaches us about dirty things in an elegant way. This is from his musical Gay Divorce. The Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers film is The Gay Divorcee. It was based lightly on a stage musical called Gay Divorce. And it is 1932, and there was one song in it about a Mr. and Mrs. Fitch, They're this rich couple who get around until the crash destroys their money. I'm aware of one recording of this, and it's by Bobby Short, and this is him doing a rendition of it back in the early 70s. But listen to the uses at the end of Bitch and Son of a Bitch, where you can see what those words meant. Of course, there's a song that shows this back in 1932, before the word asshole that we use existed. We're fiercely fighting to meet. The young, attractive and rich Mr. and Mrs. Fitch When they called for champagne Champagne arrived An aeroplane, the plane arrived A private train, the train arrived But when they called for cash The crash arrived Now men who once knew Mrs. Fitch Refer to her as a bit and the girls who all loved Mr. Fitch Say he always was a son of a bitch So love and kisses Mr. and Mrs. So, there are lessons that we can learn. I learned back in the early 90s to call people who are women who act actors. Not actresses. There are male actors and female actors. There are no goddesses. You are a god, that woman is a god. Heroine, I don't use it, she is a hero. But the differences can run deeper. Back then, it had not occurred to me that there's this distinction according to gender in words that we use for somebody who cuts in front of you in traffic. That sort of thing gets you thinking about other aspects of how gender is marked in our language, especially in our modern times. And one thing that holds on is the appellations, Mr. and Mrs. and Miss, and now we have Ms. But we've got all of those, and those distinguished by gender, and there are those who are trying to get past this, but it's an uphill climb. Our language rather resolutely marks whether one is a man or a woman based on these appellations that really are just, if you think about it, they're like definite articles. It's kind of like El Sombrero and La Luna, to really use the accent, sorry, el sombrero and la luna. And so the hat and the moon in Spanish. Well, mister versus Misses versus miss. Why do you have to put that on there? Why can't you just use the name? That's something that's kind of settled in. And those words are interesting in their ways. And so, for example, Misses, We all know how it's spelled. And then you say Misses. Well, what, what is that? That starts as Mistress. Mistress in various meanings, of which the tacky one is only one. But the original word is mistress. If you say mistress over and over, then you just know that after a while it's going to become misses. Mrs. is technically mistress said in a sloppy way. And, you know, that is how it sounded to people well into the 1700s. It used to be that somebody said misses. What you heard was somebody saying mistress quickly and in kind of a slangy, uncared for way. Then it just got to the point that it was accepted as a word separate from mistress. Nobody said Mistress Smith anymore. But when you still could, Mrs. was the slang form of mistress. So Mrs. is one of those cases where we're kind of forced to say something, which in the technical sense is slangy or which we can tell is a later and habit-bound and shaggy development of something that used to be more tidy. My favorite example of this actually is vittles. Did you know that vittles is spelled V-I-C-T-U-A-L-S? There is no word victuals technically. That word is pronounced vittles and has been for a long time. It's not Yosemite Sam. That's the way it is French kind of comes into it to create that spelling victuals is just the spelling or black people in particular are aware of chitlins which is pig intestines cooked for a long time you can for those of you who are not familiar you can imagine what it's like and believe it or not it's a delicacy and it's not spelled chitlins you can write it that way but it's actually spelled chitterlings. I pity anybody who calls them that. I'll have some chitterlings in a cup. Please, no, you have to say chitlins, but it's spelled chitterlings. Well, Mrs. is in the same relationship to mistress as chitlins is to chitterlings, and yet it's just settled in. And, you know, Mr. is the same thing. Mr. is from master. Mr. is what happens to master when you don't have the accent on it for a long time. So, Master Smith, Master Jones, Master Macintosh, well, after a while, that's going to become Mr. Macintosh, Mr. Jones, because you say it so many times. And now we think of a Mr. as something different from a master. And it is, but that was a matter of a pronunciation change for a long time. And so Mr. is something that forces you to be what would have been processed as slangy before. Also, sir is sire without the accent. So, Sir Jones... Sir Jones, Sir Jones, originally that word is senior from Latin. It's from senior, basically. Say senior over and over and you get sir, sir. And you know, the American Songbook gives us a cute case here, too. There is a song by Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart. This is originally from, which one? I'd Rather Be Right, which was their musical about, believe it or not, Franklin D. Roosevelt. And it was a modest success, and the big ballad, was Have You Met Miss Jones. It is a very nice song, so then you get into the 50s and you want Ella Fitzgerald to sing that very nice and famous song, Have You Met Miss Jones. However, in the 50s, you're not going to have Ella sing Have You Met Miss Jones. You have to make Miss Jones a man. How do you do that without ruining the line of the song? Boy, did they come up with a lame solution to this. Frankly, she just shouldn't have sung it. But they have her sang Sir Jones. Like, for some reason, (laughs) she's meeting this British aristocrat. It really doesn't work. But also, it's such a wonderful song. And it's such a weird choice that they probably made in the studio that day. I wonder, Rogers was still alive. Did he allow this? But here's Ella singing Have You Met Sir Jones. Listen to how she almost makes it work. Have you met Sir? Sir Jones Someone said As we shook hands He was just Sir Jones To me Then I said Sir Jones becomes two things, Mrs., and then misses. say that over and over again, and you're going to get Miss, and then misses and Miss are assigned their separate meanings. Master can go to Mr., but in a plantation context, in the hideous southern context, Master, when said over and over again, which quite tragically, unfortunately, it was, Master became Mars, Mars, we don't hear that anymore, but you can catch it in one more Great American Songbook example. You can catch it in Showboat, which is Jerome Kern and Oscar Hammerstein's majestic musical that I recommend. For those of you who, for example, like opera but think you don't like musicals, well, early 20th century epic musicals might as well have been operas. They were operettas. That's what Showboat is. And this is from the sprawling first scene. This is dialogue from the 1988 recording. This is Carla Burns playing Queenie. And notice how she addresses Steve. Lordy, my feet show is killing me this morning. Morning, Queenie. Morning, Ma Steve. So, Ma Steve, that means master goes to either Mr. or Mars, mistress goes to either Mrs. or Miss. And you can even see the evolution from Mrs. to Miss recapitulated in something that I at least saw when I grew up. I'm not sure whether this is black or both black and southern. I genuinely don't know. But I grew up listening to married black women being called by non-related children to whom they were warmly familiar, Miss, plus their first name. So, various neighborhood girls would call my mother, whose first name was Shelly, not Mrs. McWhorter, not Mrs. Shelley, but Miss Shelley, and there was no question that she was married, but all women were Miss because that's short for Misses, so you can see that that's where you can get a miss, but then in mainstream language, Misses is for married women, Miss used to be for unmarried women, and now we have Ms to get past that ancient barbarity and Of course, I can't give you a recorded example of. Those locutions that I remember from my childhood. But one thing from my childhood that I can quote from is, of course, what life is all about. The Jeffersons. Listen to this 1983 episode. Here is Florence and listen to her how when being explicit, she says Mrs. Willis. But then when speaking rapidly and with more emotion, she says Miss. Now that is the last struggle. I mean, it's one thing for all of y'all to have a special day. But when Ralph's on top of the road, it's time for me to come out fighting. Miss <laughs> Willis. Mrs. Willis! Mm-hmm. Those words are interesting. They have neat histories. Master and mistress, and we know what both of those things originally meant. And now we just have these little handles. Mr., Mrs., Miss. And then the created Ms. And then there was also Mars. Words do these things. Now then also we're noticing that there are various attempts to get around marking people's gender when you talk about them and things that they do. And in English, it's relatively easy, although we can see what a hot mess they seems to be for many people. But in other languages, this stuff is even harder because gender of various kinds is marked more. English, as I have discussed endlessly on Lexicon Valley, is a rather stripped-down business as languages go because of what the Vikings did to it a very long time ago. But suppose your language is much less stripped down. Chances are there's going to be goofy gender, the arbitrary gender. So the hat in Spanish is a man and the moon is a woman and you just kind of have to know. Well, what about in a language like that where, you know, all nouns are marked for gender? So sombrero, rojo, a red hat. You have to mark that it is in some sense masculine. And that the moon is feminine. Or especially with verbs, where there are languages that on the verbs mark what gender you are. So it's not only the pronouns, but the verbs are saying it too. You're in Russian. If it's me, I knew. Yaznal. But if it's somebody who is not me, and they are not a man, then it's going to be yaznala. And you've got to give that away when you speak. A woman says yasnala. a man says yasnal. English would have had the same sorts of problems in the past that it has less of now in dealing with not marking gender because it used to be a normal Indo-European language and mark all sorts of things like that. And so today in modern English, to the extent that we label objects as a gender, it's frankly, it's boring things. You know, I can say that ships are often referred to as girls, and so you crack a bottle of champagne on old Sophie the ship or something like that. There she goes. No, I guess you say that about a whale, but you get my point. So ships, yeah, you might call your car. I knew somebody once who used to call his car Bessie or something like that. Okay, fine, but who cares? It's at the margin of the languages. But not in, for example, one of my favorite varieties of English anywhere, which is the Englishes, which until not too long ago were spoken in the West Country of Britain West, meaning down on that southwestern tip. Very interesting English there. Because for a long time, English was allowed to keep doing a lot of the stuff it would naturally have kept doing if it weren't for what the Vikings did. And the Vikings did what they did up in the northeast. For a long time, the southwest was relatively independent. And so... Even in the 1800s and into the 1900s there were interesting little things about these West Country dialects. we're talking about Cornwall, Devon and Dorset, which actually were indications of English being much more ordinary as European languages go in the past than it is now. So for example, in you know what would have been thought of as country speech by the 1800s, you had special demonstratives, this is and that's for things that, they called shapen. So things that had a shape. You know, something that you can hold in your hand or that you can kind of wrap your arms around. As opposed to things that aren't shapen. And so you're talking about a stream going by, you'd say, oh, this stream. Okay. But if the stone, the stone is shapen. (laughs) It has a shape. You don't say this stone. You say thick stone. And that doesn't mean that the stone is thick and not thin. I mean, it's this stream and then if you're going to say this stone, it's thick stone. That's What they said. It's an interesting little difference, and you think, well, what an interesting grammatical quirk, but that sort of thing keeps going. And so, if you're going to call something it, that's the stream. Oh, so yeah, I see it. I see it. But if it's a stone, the stone is male. So the stream, I saw it. The stone, I carried it. Wrong. For them, that would have been wrong. You would have said, I carried he. And notice, it wasn't always I carried him. You did not have that rule that we're told is so sacrosanct that subject forms can only be used in subject position. That was unknown in the West Country. As often as not, you'd say, I carried he. Now, you could also say, I carried an. That's how they said, I carried him. That's how different this dialect was. But you could also say, I carried he. But if it's a stone, it's a he. It's not an it. And this isn't just a small collection of things that these people thought had spirits, like in fairy tales or something. It's all things. What is that? If you think about it, it's gender. It's remnants of the sort of thing that European languages throw at you all the time. So the West Country Englishes were like Swedish and Danish and Norwegian, now dividing things into not three genders, but into two. But in Old English, you had had three. It was just like German now and Russian now. In Old English, forks were feminine and knives were neuter and spoons were were masculine it was that sort of thing that just ran throughout everything cities were neuter snow was masculine you kind of just had to know that was what old english was like no remotely modern english dialect survived with that intact the vikings just (laughs) wouldn't have it but you had remnants of it in that two gender system down in the West Country. So that sort of thing persisted longer, and we can be quite sure that, say, three or four hundred years before that, there would have been rural dialects where all three genders were preserved. It's just that those dialects were not written down. So English used to be as gendery as any normal Indo-European language, and then things changed. And by the way, while we're in the West Country, here is a fun factoid. You know, pirate speech you know that business of "ar," and then I'll slit you like a fish, and there you are. That pirate voice. What is that? Why did pirates <laughs> always talk like that? Why did they say "ar"? It's actually very arbitrary, where, arbitrary where that stereotype comes from. That is actually one actor. The Disney film of Treasure Island, which I think is probably the best, has Robert Newton, and he's playing Long John Silver. And Long John Silver has that way of speaking because Robert Newton was from the West Country and he played up West Country dialect in doing this pirate, Long John Silver. Why, you named her, Purity. She, she be part of us. Part of me? Not me, she ain't. That ship done naught but keep you from settling down. Now, with her loss, maybe you'll think more about an honest life ashore. Uh. Proper home life for Jim Hawkins? Marriage? No, no! no. Maybe when your ship's going, you'll be able to think straight and because that movie was so popular it settled in that pirates sounded like that now there had been pirates depicted using southwestern speech before because there was a historical reason for this in terms of where many pirates came from so you can see it in gilbert and sullivan in the pirates of penzance and so it's written down on the page and you know various actors will do various extents of their good west country ease when they're doing those roles but that wouldn't set in stone a particular voice that now everybody knows you see that? pirate on The Simpsons. I'm not detractive. That comes from something in media. It comes from something that's run again and again on television that really gets in. And really, it was Robert Newton. If he were alive, he could be proud that he had set a well-known, jolly stereotype. And notice with the West Country dialect that one feature of it is that it does not have no R at the end of syllables. And so it's not ka for car. It's car. The person says r with a good R. doesn't say ah like that. And so a corner, a corner, he would say a corner. So you have the R's. That's a preservation. British English had the R's and only lost them starting in a major way in the 1700s and into the early 1800s. West country stayed the way it was because there's so many different kinds of Englishes there. And so that's why on Downton Abbey, for example. Remember that show? Downton Abbey, you have Mrs. Hughes. Mrs. Hughes was supposed to be from the West Country. And listen to how she doesn't talk about Mr. Carson. She has ours. Listen to this ominous scene. You said you were in here. What can I do for you, Mrs. Hughes? Nothing. You can do nothing for me, because I know who you are, and I know what you've done. And while you're here, if you value your life... I should stop playing the joker and keep to the shadows. All of this is about not only gender marking, but how language is always changing, and usually in ways that we wouldn't first think about, but it always shows you what a kaleidoscope of movement a language always is. And back to the camp that Lorraine Hansberry was at. People were having all sorts of interesting conversations in her milieu at this time. They would throw us a bit if we went back to that time. We go back to 1954. Everything is in color. You know, everybody is smoking like a furnace. You kind of have to get used to that. And, you know, their food wasn't as good as ours. But you're listening to people, but things would show you. So, for example, back then, people were talking about, for one thing, male supremacy as well as white supremacy. That's not a usage that we use today. Supremacy is usually discussed within the context of race. But back then, male supremacists. Also, white chauvinism. To them, chauvinism did not automatically refer to sexism. You could also be a white chauvinist, just like today we say white supremacy. These things are different from one era to another. Since that era, we don't say male supremacy, we don't say white chauvinism. Supremacy happens to have narrowed into referring primarily to race issues. Chauvinism in the 1960s narrowed into referring to sexism so that those of us of a certain age will remember somebody being called a a male chauvinist pig. And that was the word for what would soon start to be called sexism. And so, words get more specific, just as asshole has. You can be a kind of a doo-doo head. One kind of a doo-doo head you can be is somebody who cuts people off in traffic. That's what that word has come to mean. Master and mistress have also narrowed semantically, as has, to bring things even fuller circle, as it were, as has the term critical race theory. We have to always keep in mind that over time, and often not that much time, words semantically narrow and a critical mass of people earnestly and innocently mean something more specific than what the word means in, say, a dictionary or even just in our minds when we think about what the word means as opposed to what the word really means. If you'd like to leave a comment or check out our other great podcasts, Banished and Bully Pulpit, here at Booksmart Studios, Lexicon Valley is not the only one. Or if you want to subscribe, please subscribe. Please visit booksmartstudios.org. Our producers are Matthew Schwartz and, as always, Mike Wolo. And our theme music was created by Harvest Creative Services. Those sister podcasts, again, are Banished with Omni Khali about cancel culture and Bully Pulpit with Bob Garfield about much else. I heartily recommend them, but I like this podcast, too. This has been Lexicon Valley and I am John McWhorter.